Yeah, I mean, I, I reflected and, you know, I, I kind of said a little prayer um, as I was running onto the field. And I was like, Mom, this is it. You know, we, 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 we made it. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's interview series from Phenom to the Farm, where we are talking to former professional baseball players to reminisce about their playing days and what they learned on the journey from amateur ball to the professional ranks. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Big thanks to everyone who checked out the show in 2020. I just want to say we are three five-star ratings away from 100 on Apple Podcasts, so if you enjoy the show and you haven't yet, today would be a great time to tap that five-star rating on your phone and get the show over the 100 mark. Today's guest is the first big leaguer from the continent of Africa, South African infielder Gifton Gope. Gift is currently playing in the Australian Baseball League and took some time during his mandatory quarantine upon entering the country to uh, talk about his story. Gift talked about his record-setting debut, growing up around baseball in South Africa, his adjustment to the United States game, and how to come to terms with some self-inflicted pressure and dealing with homesickness and loss during his career. Gift is the first international signee we've had on the podcast. It was a real treat for me to hear his story. Episodes from Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoy this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. And like I said earlier, if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure you subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. Prospect Handbook is available for pre-order. Julio Rodriguez is on the cover. Can't wait to get my hands on mine. Anyone listening to this pod would greatly enjoy the Prospect Handbook. Also makes a great gift if you've you know got a gift-giving occasion coming up this spring. Uh, the BA Podcast feed is also breaking down those top 10 prospects and gearing up for college baseball season. For future guest info of this podcast, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. But for now, let's talk to Gift and Gope. All right, joining in for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm, he was a 2008 international signee by the Pirates, the first big leaguer from the continent of Africa, current Melbourne Aces infielder Gift and Gope. Gift, thanks so much for joining From Phenom to the Farm. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Great to be here. Of course. I mean, I've been I've been looking forward to this for a while, and though we've been kind of circling the wagon on this one. Um, Really appreciate you joining. Uh, real quick, how does it feel to to be back almost playing baseball in 2020 down in the ABL? Uh, I'm excited. You know, I've been waiting the whole year to be on the field, and I get to, an opportunity to be out here in the Australian Baseball League, and I have three more days of quarantine, and I'm, I'm, I'm back on the field, baby. Yeah, by the time this airs, you'll have you'll have gotten some games in. Uh, so so we'll be looking forward to uh, to catching in on that. But let's let's go all the way back uh, before your professional career. Uh, Gift, how did you wind up playing baseball instead of like cricket or rugby? So I ended up uh, starting baseball. Um, it all started with my mom um, moving from the village into the urban areas and finding a job with the baseball community. Um, I got sick as a child when I was living with my grandparents in the village and my grandmother called my mom and said, listen, your child's sick, come get him. Um, my mom asked the people at the Rambic Mets saying, hey, can I bring my son to come live with me? And um, that's how I, I started uh, playing baseball. Uh, I was watching, heard the bat, the, the sound of the bat, the, 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 the gloves popping. And it kind of intrigued me, and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting, you know. So I, I started throwing the ball against the wall, and the coach uh, yelled at me, yelled for me, and he was like, hey, Gift, uh, do you want to play? 
and I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot, you know, and, and that's how uh, my career started in, in South Africa. So you grew up in baseball more than like more than any other kind of kid. Like you, you literally grew up around the game. Like that that's a, that's a thing that's said often about like coaches' kids or anything. But you literally grew up surrounded by baseball. Yeah, a lot of people say I was born on the baseball field. I mean, I, my baseball field was my backyard. I rolled out of bed and I was on first base. So I, I was very fortunate to have such a big yard, and you know, I got to experience. A lot of sports as well. You know, I did play cricket in in, in my days in South Africa. I played um, uh, soccer. So, but my my number one love was always uh, baseball. You know, baseball took priority over every other sport. What was what was the baseball culture then when you where you grew up? Like here in the U.S., many kids have access to little league. There are tra- you know travel teams are a booming business. Um, in Latin America, baseball is one of, if not the most popular sport. But how often were you able to actually play the game, especially when you got into your teenage years? So growing up in South Africa, we had a um, we had a large baseball community, and uh, we played once a week, trained twice a week, and. As I was growing up into my teenage years, the numbers of the baseball community started getting smaller and smaller. As you know, uh, baseball is competing against three major sports in in South Africa, you know, rugby, cricket and soccer. So we started losing numbers to the other sports um, as, you know, kids started seeing that those sports had pathways. So they decided to go there instead of continuing to play in baseball. So as I was doing... Growing up through my teenage years, baseball started getting uh, a little bit weaker in, in the competition. But, uh, you know, I still enjoyed it and I still continued playing. And, you know, I had my goal since I was 12 years old to play in the big leagues one day. You mentioned pathways, though, and kids picking other sports because there's a clear pathway. What for you, what when you lay out that goal of getting to the big leagues, how did you imagine yourself getting there? In the U.S., most baseball players dream of going to college or getting drafted. In Latin America, the July 2nd signing period has always been that big-time dream. What was your first goal? How are you getting to pro ball? So my first dream um, was when in the 97-98 All-African Games, the Rambic Mets, um, there was a couple guys that were South African that signed pro contracts. And I got to see them play in my backyard because um, my uh, the Rambic Mets held the All African Games, and I was able to come watch. And you know, a guy by the name of Ian Holness, uh, Nicholas Dempsey, Paul Bell, Brett Willenberg, they were all pro uh, contracted guys. And I was like, yeah, I want to be like them. They, they look really good, you know. And that kind of sparked something in me. And then when I was twelve, I was like, you know, this is what I want to do. Um, so I'm going I'm, I'm to do everything that I can. Back in South Africa, we watched, me and my best friend Robert, we watched uh, baseball, um, Sunday night baseball on, on Mondays after school. So that kind of was like, oh, yeah, this is really cool. Like, look how many fans there are out there, you know, watching the game of baseball. I want to be there and, and stuff like that. So when I got to 18 years old, I kind of almost stopped um, believing and, and, and dreaming in, you know, make being the, uh, a big league player. So when I was 18, I kind of made a choice. I was like, this is kind of my, my last year of baseball. If I get a base, if I get a baseball contract or a soccer contract, whichever one comes first, I will go, I'll go play that sport. 
And when did you realize when 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 did teams when did the Pirates at least first start talking to you? When did you realize that a baseball contract was a realistic thing to uh, that that might be happening? Uh, 2007 is when I got uh, invited to the MLB Academy, where I got to work with uh, with a lot of um, MLB retired coaches um, at the academy, and you know there was a bunch of scouts and everything. And then 2008, they reinvited me, and that's when the the Pittsburgh Pirates saw me, and they were like, "Listen, hey, we want to give you an opportunity to be become a, a professional baseball player." At the time you signed. How much did it mean to you to be the first black South African to sign a pro baseball contract? Did that register at all for you, the, the importance of that? No. And I, I, you know, the importance of it didn't register to me, you know, being the first black guy to be, sign a baseball contract. But uh, for me, it was a, a step in the door in the right direction to where I want to be, you know. So that's the mentality I went with. It's like, hey, here's an opportunity to take it. Let's run with it and let's do something with it, you know. What was the longest you'd been away from home before you signed? Uh, the longest before I signed was probably a month that I went to the Italian camp. Um, I mean, I was gone, you know, throughout the year at times, but the longest is only like a month. You know, I had two weeks here where I went to Taiwan to represent the national team and stuff like that. But yeah, a month was the longest. And then now my first year... Um, playing professional baseball, I was away from home for eight months. So that was the longest I've, I've been away uh, from home at the time. So the Pirates fly you into Florida. They stick you in the GCL, 47 games playing on the Cloverly Fields and like the, the gross humidity of Florida. What was your first impression of pro ball? Did you feel good, overwhelmed, a little bit of both? A little bit of both. I was um, I was excited to you know be on the field, you know, yet some pretty nice fields that you get to play on. Um, GCI was hard. <laughs> it, you know, Florida is gross. It, yeah, we call it the Golf Roast League. I mean, it's hot. I mean, you're playing in the middle of the day after working out from 8 o'clock in the morning and then to 12, and then you have a short little break, lunch break, catch a breath kind of thing, and then you have to be out on the field at 1 o'clock playing a game. So... I mean, it, it wasn't easy. Um, at first, you know, obviously we, we, we started with spring training. And, you know, coming from South Africa where we played once once a week and we trained twice a week, now I'm playing games every single day and practicing, in, you know, every single day as well. So that was also another transition that I had to, you know, get through. And I couldn't wait for the season to start. And then the season eventually started in June – I, I, I think is when the season starts in the GCL. And I was excited. By the time August rolled around, I was so beat mentally and physically that I could not, you know, like function at all. You know, I just had to push through and finish the year. But I was tired, honestly, you know. So going back that off season, I, I, I had to make some adjustments and prepare my body to play, you know, 60, 80 games the, the following year. Does it just take that first off season to adjust to that, or does it take you a couple years in pro baseball to to be able to physically and mentally get through that season long grind? Because as you the the as you get up the ladder, the the season gets longer. Yeah, you know, as you get up the ladder, the season gets longer. But you know, for American guys, it's a little bit easier because you guys are used to playing 
you know, three, three games, maybe four games a week, you know, for a guy like me and other countries, you know, people from other countries who play once a week or twice a week, you know, and going over there to America to play uh, pro, pro ball and having to make that adjustment, it, it takes a little bit longer. You know, you, it, it took me, I think, after my 2012 season, that I eventually got used to playing a hundred games uh, a year. And that is, that's three years after you signed too. So that's, that's quite a bit. Um, with your, with your adjustment to American baseball, there wasn't a, there wasn't a language barrier like there is with some guys who come from the Latin American countries, but is there, is there any baseball slang that's used in South Africa that isn't in the U S or vice versa? Or does baseball just translate seamlessly wherever you go? I mean, there's, there's different slang. I mean, when I got to uh, America, I was still saying my ball, my ball, you know, instead of calling, I, you know, in, in America, they say, I got it, you know, and in South Africa, we say my ball. And when I said that, I remember my my, my teammate, Wes Freeman, um, I was playing second base, balls hit between us, and I was running backwards, and I, I got to the ball, and I'm like, my ball, my ball. And I caught it, and then he came behind me, and he said, if you say my ball ever again, I will truck you. And I was like, wow, this guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, you know, they, they, they kind of stopped me from, from saying my ball because they wanted, to say, they wanted us to say I got it because my ball sounds like you. And, you know, there's a lot of confusion that could, could happen, and then we end up uh, running into each other. So that's how you know, I, I kind of got rid of that slang of saying my ball instead of, you know, I got it. How did you think you, once you were around other professional baseball players, probably, I mean, the highest caliber baseball that you had been around at that point, how did you think you, you stacked up? to these guys, to the, to these other professionals? And how did you think things looked for you as far as getting to the big leagues or going up the ladder? Were you still, you know, pretty confident? Yeah, I was pretty confident, um, you know, early on in my career where, you know, I, you know, coming from, coming from South Africa and matching up against these guys, I saw the different talents. You know, this guy better, is better than you in this, or this guy is better you in that, and you're better than him in this. So, you know, what I brought to the table, you know, helped the team win, you know, and um, and I got better with the with the guys. I'm like, okay, this guy's better than me in this. You know, I got to pick up my game in that. So it kind of uh, uh, um, got me going, you know, got me to get better in, in my game as well. So we helped each other in, in our careers. That was the most important thing. Um, throughout my career is helping one one another as as we went with being in a being in a different country being overseas essentially for you overseas from home is there is there any cure for homesickness like has that gotten better the longer you've been in the United States or been playing baseball or is it is it still something that is always extremely difficult to deal with for you or any other you know foreign born player I mean, it is difficult. I mean, you know, you kind of get better as time goes, but you still now and again feel homesick here and there. Um, you know, especially in the in the, the the Groundhog Month, they say in like June, July, where you're tired and you you know you've been doing the same thing since uh, mid Feb. You know, since when you when you got into the country, you got there before spring training, and then you're doing spring training, and then you know you start your season off. 
and then you kind of get that period where you you know it's just you just got to grind through it and at that point you you wish you could just have a little vacation or something you know and see family um luckily with technology um in, improving over the years we're able to you know facetime and skype and stuff like that so it became a little bit easier uh, something your your first I guess your first full pro season, you did the GCL. Your second year, when you're 20, they send you out to short season. And this is something that I kind of want to harp on since it seems that that short season is kind of going, you know, short season is going by the wayside, will not be a thing aside from the complex leagues anymore. You get 64 games in state college. Um, The stats probably aren't your, you know, your best, your fondest memories there. But what did that 64 games do for you as far as preparing you to eventually the, the next year, I think you get hurt. You play only a few games in West Virginia, but to prepare you for a, a full season in Bradenton in 2012, could you have, do you think you could have gotten through that season in Bradenton without that, those 64 games in state college, essentially your first time away from the complex? Um, I mean, the, the 64 game in state college kind of was like a wake up call with the way I did. Um, obviously the numbers weren't really the best, and it was like, yeah, listen, if you want to play this game and you want to stick around, you got to do uh, a lot better than what you just did, you know. Um, so it, it was a wake-up call for me. And, you know, other people, I feel, may need this short season. And then there's other people that don't need it, you know. Um, for me, I, I, you know, I made adjustments every single year that I played. So I feel like, you know, if I skipped a, uh, the short season league i would have been okay to play the uh, low a season but at the same time it's also a learning curve that you go through you know playing those 64 games what you can and cannot do and it's also the first time you play under lights as well so that's also something that you have to make an adjustment to and your body needs to get used to as well with that first full season in bradenton you're 22 years old you hit you hit 232 it's a tough league it's it's certainly a pitcher's league you play. You had gone into that season barely having played over a hundred games in your career, and you play 124. Uh, at the end of that season, the next year, you wind up on the Pirates' top 30 prospect list. You've impressed with your defense. After getting through a full season in High A, you've now got you know over 200 professional games under your belt. Do you have any sort of sense of what your timeline is to get to the big leagues, and what kind of player that you think you can be when you hit your full potential? Um. I, I knew that I could, you know, get to the big leagues and was hoping to be in the big leagues in the next three years after I made, after my uh, high A season. But I knew that I also had a lot of work to, to be to be done. You know, there there's still a lot of things that I still had to make adjustments with, especially with um, breaking balls. Uh, I had gotten a lot of breaking balls in my high A year. Uh, low A, I had a good year before I broke my hand and I was just ready to hit the fastball. I was aggressive. And then when I got to high, it kind of like, you know, they pitched backwards a little bit, those, uh, the teams that we played. And it kind of was like, you know, another adjustment that I had to make in my, in my career. So how do you go about making the adjust is, is dealing with breaking ball, is that all mental? Because I think it's easy to be the guy when you're watching a game on TV being like, hey, why are you swinging at that ball in the dirt? What kind of work goes into to improving pitch selection? Is that all just reps or is there some sort of conscious work you can do to work on that? I mean, there's some, there's conscious work that you can do. Like uh, for me, it was 
you know, my where I'm looking for the pitch. You know, I was a low ball hitter, so anything down for me was my bread and butter. But then, you know, once I started throwing that slider down and away, it became hard for me to lay off that pitch. But my sights were down at the bottom of the zone. Now that I've moved my eyesight, you know, up in the zone, I'm looking for something to hit up in the zone. Now I'm starting to spit on the, the, the slider down and away. So that was a little bit of adjustment. I've, and I only learned that now later in my career and not when I was, in, you know, uh, 22, 23 years old. Um, uh, you know, I, I had to go literally change the way my mindset was in the plate, uh, in my approach, in order for me to be a better hitter uh, now than I was when I was playing um, in, in, in the Pirates organization, should I say. With how much work you're having to put into your hitting at that point, and how much you know, you've certainly struggled more than you struggled in the field. You are you were lauded. You've always been regarded as an excellent defender, capable of playing big league shortstop, which is a very valuable thing. When when you're so good at one thing, but having to put so much work to try to bring the other up to speed, does it? does it make you not like hitting as much? Like, does that make sense? Does it bring in any sort of frustration of if I, you know, I'm so good at this one thing, I wish I could just be on par with the other. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, I did wish I was on par with, with my, you know, with my fielding, you know, fielding for me was second nature. Um, and not to make excuses or anything, but, you know, coming from South Africa and having such little games and not having the kind of, uh, preparation to to play in the in the professional um, uh, atmosphere, you know that kind of was a struggle because I was playing catch up the whole time. You know, like I was still catching up to everything, like the the heartbreaking sliders or the the way they pitch you or you know what you're trying to do at the plate, your approach and everything like that. So that was kind of adjustment for me. You know, I was just catching up the whole time where my defense was so much advanced and it was so much easier to make adjustments for me uh, during fielding that it just, you know, it just was so much easier for me to, to do that. And a lot of people were like, take the same mentality when you're fielding to hitting, you know, and like for, for hitting, I, I feel like I was so dead red on fastball that I thought every single pitch was a fastball and I would swing like it was a fastball and, you know, it was a changeup or a slide or, you know, down in, down in the dirt or something. So I ended up having so, so much strikeouts uh, throughout the year. And I, I mean, I tried, I honestly tried to like cut the strikes, strikeouts down, but, you know, until I changed my approach, that's when the, the strikeouts were, you know, became less. Another adjustment you had to make is, um, living the the minor league lifestyle which like you didn't you didn't have a huge bonus your paychecks weren't massive and then living that lifestyle in a different country like you know like i said earlier no language barrier still a different country how how long did it take you to adjust to the long road trips and uh you know living in small apartments and the the whole everything that goes into living in the minor leagues uh, it's tough, bro. Like, it's really tough. Like, what minor leaguers go through, uh, what I went through at the time, living off the paycheck that y you got, it, it was not enough, you know. And, you know, you have 
uh, roommates that you that you live with, you know, you, or one of you ends up on the couch, so you can at least save some money amongst each other, you know. So uh, road trips were tough, you know, especially in the Sally League where you had 20-hour bus rides. Um, that, that, and then you had to play the next day. You got there, like, early in the morning at 5 o'clock, and the coaches, like, report at 2 o'clock for a little bit of training, and then we're going to play the game. So, uh, you know, minor leagues is really tough to get through, but... You know, when you get when you get through it and you get to the major leagues, it it makes it that much more worth it. You know. Yeah. What was your uh, What was your diet like, especially in the low minor leagues as a professional athlete? Someone who I would imagine were it, it was tough to keep on weight, playing in the heat and playing those long years, especially early in your career when you weren't prepped for that kind of fatigue. <laughs> I mean, I was much of a diet guy, so I literally ate anything and everything. Um, as long as, <laughs> as long as I was putting food in my mouth, uh, getting three meals a day, I, I, I was happy. You know, um, it wasn't like luxurious like meals or anything like that. But I'd make sure at least I have like three meals. I mean, you get two meals at the field where you make like a sandwich or something like that, and then you eat, you know, breakfast like cereal, um, or you get something on your way to the field or something like that. You know. Um, and then you get dinner after the game, so you know you're able to get your food. Um, I didn't really lose much weight during the season. I was able to maintain my weight. Uh, I don't know how, but I I did it. But I mean, it it, it was tough. the chicken tenders from the concession stand probably helped. I feel like the the, <laughs> the food at minor league ballparks is is made for keeping weight on. It might not be the weight you want, but it'll stay on. It will stay on, you know. I, I kept the calories after after the game, you know. That that burger after the game certainly helped me, you know, get through the, to the next day. It, does it hold merit the stereotype that like America is just covered in fast food? As someone who is not born here, I mean, th- there is a lot of fast food, and it's easy to get fast food. Um, and it's not, uh, you know, it's not really like expensive to get fast food, so. You know, America is all about the hustle and bustle, and I feel like people don't have time to, you know, get home and make a, a, a proper meal, you know, so it's just easier to be like, okay, you know what, hey, it's been a long day, let me just get a pizza, you know, so it's just that easy, and um, yeah, just fast food is just around the corner. It's everywhere, it's everywhere. Um, so you finish up that first year in Bradenton. Uh, like I said, you make the Baseball America's Pirates top 30. You know, you're regarded as a future big league defender. Um, you, you make the jump to double A the next year. The high A to double A jump is difficult for anyone. It's kind of regarded as the most difficult jump in the minor leagues um, and, and second only to the jump from, you know, actually to the big leagues. But I, I would imagine your first year in double A was probably one of the more difficult of your life, um, 77 games in your first seat into your, you know, your double A season, you leave to attend your mother's funeral. How did you, how did you even manage to come back and, you know, actually play well when you returned to Bradenton a month later? What, you know, that, that entire experience, what did that mean to you? Um, it was, it, it was, you know, a different experience in double A. Um, I mean, regardless, regardless of the numbers that I had, um, the first month of the season, I feel like I did well, but I was just unfortunate because I was just hitting them straight at players. You know, if those had to fall, now my numbers look a little bit different, you know. So, and then the second month, I kind of struggled. Um, I couldn't hit anything, you know. They, I still 
ha- I was still having a bunch of um, breaking balls thrown at me at that time. So, you know, trying to adjust or, or you know for breaking balls, and then now you're getting beaten by fastballs, and like it was just not happening for me that year. And the same time, my mother was in the hospital, so I I was kind of like my mind was back home and not at the field at that at that time. So. Um, I was able to leave. The pilots um, granted me some leave to go to go home and be with my mom at the time. I flew in, got to spend five days with, with her before she passed. Um, and the funeral came like a week, a uh, week and a half later. Um, you know, we had the funeral and everything, and then I was able to kind of get my mindset right. I uh, thought about quitting at the time when my when I um, buried my mom and thought about, you know, my family needs me to stay home right now and be the provider for them since my mom is not around anymore and she was our, you know, our everything. And you have a little brother, correct? Yeah, I have a little brother. I have an older brother too. His name is Christopher. Um, He was just out of high school and just starting his job at the time uh, when my mom passed. So, you know, he wasn't making that much money for, for, for the family to be like, okay, for me to be like, okay, you know what, I can leave you guys and go continue chasing my career. Um, so it was a difficult uh, decision for me. And, you know, my friends and family were like, no, don't stop. This is what you, this, this is what you always wanted to do. And mom wouldn't want you to stop. So go back out there and, 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 you know, do your job. Um, so I was able to be, to, you know, change my mindset and be ready to attack um, uh, on the field. So I, I got back to high A and had a tremendous year. You did. You um, you added 60 points to your batting average that, from the previous year in high A. Um, you're the same. Your you're on-base percentage got over. It was at, it clocked in at 424. It was, a, it was an excellent end of the year, especially considering the circumstances. Uh, 2014, you go back to out to double A Altoona. You hit a little bit better. 2015, you're back in Altoona. You hit better. You get to call to triple A. You're playing big league caliber shortstop. When's the first time that you think there's a realistic chance that like you could get the call that you're actually knocking on the door? So yeah, the year 2015 um, that I had in double A, and then got called up to triple A, and then I started the first two, three weeks in double A, you know, just hitting balls. And I was like, you know what, if I if I keep going in this rate, I might just get a call up in September. So you never know. Uh, you know, I'm playing good defense. I've been playing good defense all my life. So, you know, the best finally coming around. I have high hopes that, you know, I'm, I, I might just get a big league call up in September. And then I, uh, I ruptured my um, oblique. Uh, I pulled my oblique that year so then you know that kind of sit you know sit me back so you get you go back to indianapolis in 2016 were you still reeling from that injury a little bit was that still affecting you no i was i was all good um from that injury uh, and then obviously the pressure to get to the big leagues um as quick as possible you know when i went back to the Indi- uh AAA indianapolis um that kind of took effect um, uh, on my play. I mean, I was pushing so hard. I was trying everything. I was trying to do more than I can. 
and you know obviously it it didn't happen that year for me either so I mean, there was there's things that you go through as a baseball player, just overthinking things and putting pressure on yourself, and you know, and, and it's, it's it's human nature that we do these kind of things, you know, and until we are told different and until we experience uh, that feeling of putting that much pressure, and then eventually saying, you know what, I I'm done with it, and I'm just gonna go out there and play the play play my game and have fun is when you actually like excel in the in the game. What was the final straw in, in you deciding to drop switch hitting? Um the final straw, you know, it was like I I, I saw my team in in double A and I was like these guys are just oh double A triple A I'm like these guys are just getting pitched a, uh, a little bit different than 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 me, you know, and I feel like I can make adjustments better right-handed than I was when I was switch hitting, you know, and my numbers at the time, righty versus lefty, my numbers were a little bit different. As my career was going, my left-handed was getting better than my right-handed, but I was facing more uh, right-handed pitching at the time. So I was like, you know what, let me give myself a chance. I've done this for what, six years, I think it was, that I switched hit for. And my seventh year, I, I, I went in there and I told them, like, listen, uh, I'm done switch hitting and I, I just want to go all righty. This is my last year of my contract. Um, and I think I can I can do it. I can do it switch uh, going going righty only. What were those first few ABs right-handed against a right-handed pitcher seeing a, like a righty slider or a righty curveball? <laughs> it was it, it was neat Buckley. <laughs> but uh how long does that adjustment take to where that starts where the visual starts feeling normal i mean that's just another adjustment it's another hurdle that i had to go through my whole career you know like my whole career i feel like i was just making adjustments and i was playing catch up the whole time you know so um it it, it it, it was okay because now I started making adjustments, being like, okay, all right, this is how they're going to pitch me. And I started, you know, looking for fastballs in because they were two-seaming everything inside. And I was like, well, you know, if they throw it inside, I'm just going to hit it inside. My hands are quick enough to get, you know, to the pitch inside. And then, you know, as it went, I started making a little bit more adjustments. I'm not chasing the slider as much, but... Uh, you know, trying to see the pitch and seeing the slider out of the hand, especially a guy throwing 98 and you're trying to get ready for 98 and then the guy, you know, drops in the slider. You know, baseball is just a game of adjustments and a game of inches. So in the the offseason, in the the 2016 offseason, you get added to the 40-man roster. What was getting that call like and what did that do for your confidence and your hopes for spring training 2017? You know, getting that call was 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 the best news that I that I that I received because that mean that meant I was one step closer to to making my dreams come true. Um, I'm a phone call away now. They don't have to make you know a bunch of changes and adding me onto the 40 man to get the call up or anything like that. Now I'm on the 40 man. If if something happens and there's an opportunity for me, you know I could be the the, the next guy to be called up. Um, Going into spring training 2017, um, I I think there was an opportunity for me to make the team. I think we didn't have a second baseman at the time. So I went in there being like, listen, this is your opportunity. This is your spot to take. 
you know, you're going to go out there and show them that you can play this game and, and just go uh, mash balls in spring training. And, and that's what I did. They send you to Altoon or to uh, to Indianapolis to start the year, but you're you're not in Indianapolis, Indianapolis too long. Walk me through the call. So, yeah, I, I get sent down to to Triple A. You know, I'm a little I'm a little mad at the time because I'm like I felt like I did a good job in spring training to break into the the big league uh, spring the big league uh, team at the time. Um, but I was like, you know what, they want me to prove that I can do it, you know, on a consistent basis, you know, because obviously they're looking for consistency. And so I went down to AAA, you know, got to work, did my thing. And we in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Um, my friend, Davidus Nevaraska, is from Lithuania. who's the first born Lithuanian to play in the big leagues. He got a call the day before. And so the coach called us over um, into a group and he was like listen yesterday we called the European guy and today they want the African guy so <laughs> congratulations gift you going to the big leagues so that, that's how I got my 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 call up uh, packed my bags got ready to go and my flight got cancelled like, oh man this, <laughs> this cannot be happening you know so yeah the lady was like yeah it's gonna take about two three hours so that means i missed my connection flight to pittsburgh so i'm like well i'm this is i'm doomed you know so i call my coach he's like no get back to the hotel let's reassess the situation and then we'll we'll, we'll let you know if you're gonna get back to the big leagues or not i'm like man i just i called my whole family and every, my friends and family that i'm going to the big leagues and i'm not even gonna you know get there you know so um what I watched the whole Pirates game that day uh, with, with my friends. The, the game was called off in Pawtucket. And uh, later on in the evening, I got a call from my coach. And he was like, hey, I, I need you to take a deep breath in and out. So, yeah. <sighs> All right, coach, you know, just, just give it to me. You know, just give me the news. And then he was like, listen, you have a flight early on in the morning, 6 o'clock, you're going to the big leagues, kid. So I was excited. I didn't sleep that whole day. <laughs> you basically got called up twice. Yeah. I mean, I got called up twice. Um, uh, I, I was really fortunate to get called up twice because, I, you know, there's players that told me, you know, hey, listen, Gift, when they reassess, you know, you might not get, get back up into the big leagues. It happened to one of one of my guys when I was playing with them, um, you know, along my career. And I was like, wow, you got to tell me such bad news. Like, I don't want to hear that. So, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to get another call-up to the big leagues. Um, didn't sleep um, that whole time, calling friends and family and telling them, hey, I'm going back to the big leagues. I'll be leaving at 6 o'clock in the morning and I'm going to get to Pittsburgh and stuff like that. I get to Pittsburgh and um, they tell me, just stay in the hotel. We haven't made the transactions yet to get you in the big league locker room yet. So just wait for uh, wait for us to call you. I'm like, oh, man, not, I'm going to get stuck in the hotel. I'm not going to, you know, I'm just, I'm just not going to make my big league debut, you know. Uh, eventually get the call and uh, I, I go to the locker room, put my stuff down. The cameras are on me. I got like you know eight, eight reporters you know asking me questions uh, you know, about being here right now at this moment. Um, I get out on the field. I'm, you know my heart's beating like 
a thousand beats per minute and everything is just rapid fire like ground balls are kind of you know getting on me a little bit and i i had to like stop for a moment and be like gift like listen you're here you made it and everything else is just a bonus right now you're here you made it you're on a big league field about it being a big league game just just relax and go play the game you know so i was able to calm myself down um and then you know sitting in the dugout talking to david freeze at the time and you know david freeze obviously you know has a world series ring mvp that year with the cardinals uh 2012 so you know good guy to talk to good guy to pick his brain so i'm I'm sitting there talking to him and i'm like listen how do how do we go about doing this I, I, you know we i haven't had that much national league experience so now i i'm in the big leagues and i've got to be prepared to come on at any time and you know he's helping me along and then my coach tom prince who was the bench coach that year he was like yes you're in and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, now grab my glove and, you know, I run out there on the field. Uh, Cervelli comes over and, and checks, checks my heartbeat. <laughs> and my, my heartbeat was uh, through the roof at the time because <laughs> I was so nervous. I was excited. I, you know, there was a lot of emotions going through me and stuff like that. And then Jay Hay checks my heartbeat as well. And they, they're both laughing at me and being like, you know, just enjoy it. You know, this is what we live for right now. So this is the moment that we've been dreaming of since we were kids. So just go out and have fun. When you're in the field, are you able to think about, because like baseball is a lot, there's a lot of downtime. It's really mental. You have to think about what are you doing if the balls hit to you? Um, you know, in the big leagues, there's a lot of positioning and stuff like that. Are you able to think about any of that? Or is it just all the gravity of the moment just kind of crushing you? I mean, at the moment, I wasn't trying to think about a whole lot, but at the same time, I'm I'm thinking about not messing up because you know you you get told a lot of stories um, that you get one chance, you know, in the big leagues, and if you mess up that chance, you might not get it ever again, you know. So at that point, I'm just like, gift if the balls hit you, just make sure you get an out, no matter where it is, just make sure you get an out, you know. So that was my whole thought process, you know, being up there in the field. And then, you know, everything just kind of took over and was like, you know what, just play the game. Let's find a way to help the team. And that's the only way you're going to be able to stay here. Um, so that was on the field mentality. And then I got on, on deck circle and I look over and I'm, I'm facing John Lester. And I'm like, oh, man, this, this, is not, this, is, this is not a gimme out here. You know, they're making me work for my debut. Um, I got on the plate. I uh, got in the box, first pitch, ball. I'm like, okay, all right, we got this, you know, we got this, we're doing good. Second pitch, ball. I'm like, yes, 2-0 count. Should we go for a home run or should we just, you know, get a <laughs> Swing out of your shoes. Swing out of my shoes, you know. I, I don't have anything to lose, you know, but I'm like, nah, 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 let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's just go up there, hit a single. And, you know, just stick to your approach. I get a fastball 2-0 right down the middle, file it off late. I'm like, man, you messed it up. Like, you couldn't even have a better pitch to hit. If you just told yourself to hit a home run, you would have launched that one. Anyways, <sighs> breathe. Get back in the box, 2-1. He throws the pitch just a bit off 
outside the corner, both three. I'm like, all right, should we go for a home run or should we go, you know, just go for a single? I'm like, gift, stick to your approach, nice and easy, see the ball, hit ball, let's just get on the board, and everything else is history. You know, delivers a 3-1 pitch right down the middle. I was able to put a good swing on it, got good barrel, hit a single up the middle, ran to first, came around first base, uh, back to first base, and then you know my my coach KB was out there, and uh, KB has been with me through the minor league system um, for the, the, that whole time. You know he helped me a lot and been there for me and everything. And he hugged me and said, "Your mom will be so proud." And I, at that moment, I almost cried on the field, and I had to I had to hold back my tears. I was going to ask that that whole, that day. Did you get a chance to kind of reflect on on what that would have meant to your mom, and you know, growing up around her in that you know on the baseball field? Yeah, I mean, I I reflected, and you know, I I kind of said a little prayer um, as I was running onto the field, and I was like, "Mom, this is it. You know, we 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 made it. You know, this is the moment that uh, I've been dreaming of since I was a kid." and the moment is here. We are living this moment right now. So, you know, here it is. You know, I hope I made you proud and I hope you, you, you're smiling in, in heaven, you know? Well, you you broke barriers with being called up, the first, the first player from the continent of Africa being called up. And you also broke barriers. I think you're the first person on this podcast who got a hit in their their first big league at bat. And I'm pretty sure I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think like every other guy we've had on this podcast actually struck out in their in their first big league at bat. I know the last few we've had on struck out in their first big league at bat. So that's 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 a big thing for you. You can carry that. You can take that with you forever. Um, how many media requests did you receive just over the course of 2017 after you got the call between U.S. baseball media and media back home? Oh, my. So the next day, um, I believe we had a day off. And my phone did not stop ringing that whole entire day. I think I had six, seven interviews that I did that day on my on my day off. So I, I had a lot of requests from, you know, media from USA, media from South Africa. And, you know, within those two, three days um, of my big league debut, it was just being on the phone or talking to media the whole time. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. Has that has that stopped really in the past few years? And I know there's been um, – I know you had posted people, you know, had – have used your likeness for a film that you didn't authorize, and ha- has the the intrigue around your story, you know, quelled at, at all? Or are you still dealing with constant, you know, people messaging you on WhatsApp and asking for podcast interviews and stuff like that? Um, uh, it, it, it it has slowed down a little bit, you know. As uh, you know, when you make it to the top, everybody wants a piece. You know, when you're not over there, then everybody's kind of like, "Oh, yeah, okay, now nah, it's okay." But uh, I do get phone calls and requests about doing interviews, and you know, it, I'm here to tell my story, and hopefully, it touches someone else and inspires somebody, somebody else out there. You know, so you know, I'm always willing to talk and and, and tell my story. You know, because the odds of me making it to the big leagues were against me by a lot, 
you know, like I, I if you if you had a bid on me to make the big leagues, you would probably would have made a lot of money. You know, that that's how much like the odds were against me. Well, you made it and you're up for twenty eight games in twenty seventeen. Besides what's the most difficult adjustment to the big leagues? Besides just, you know, better pitching, better, you know, stiffer competition what, what's the biggest thing to adjust as a young player trying to stick around uh the biggest adjustment is obviously you know the pitching aspect of, of being in the big leagues you know those guys over there they, they you're facing the best of the best and they're throwing everything for a strike whether it be a slider fastball curveball change up you know everything's a strike you know and then you have to be so disciplined at the plate and have an approach that you stick to you know, whether you're looking away or looking in, but you got to stay, you know, hard-headed to that approach. And that's like the biggest adjustments that you got to make, you know, knowing what you're looking for and going up there and not missing that pitch. You know, you don't get a lot of pitches that you can hit in the big leagues. So you got to make those ones that you get count. Uh, you play out that 2017 season with the Pirates and then um, you're, you know, were you surprised when the Blue Jays acquired you? Is that... Is it weird to not be in the or- the only organization you've ever been in? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I was surprised to get a phone call um, at the time because you know I I I played I got sent down from from Pittsburgh and then I went down to AAA, struggled for the first two weeks. You know, I was still kind of like mentally upset about getting sent down and everything like that. So. Um, you know, laced up, got ready, got to work, you know, did well in August. And in, I thought I did good enough to get get called back up. And I didn't get called back up. So then I uh, had my off season. I was at home and I got a phone call from, you know, from the, the, the player development um, GM guy at, at the Pirates and I was like this is either going to go one way or the other I'm either getting released from the Pirates or something else is happening you know I answered the call and he was like listen uh, you're no longer a Pirate we just traded you to the Blue Jays and I was like well thank you very much um, for everything and uh, uh, that the Pirates have given me you know uh, I'm, I'm truly fortunate and blessed to have nine years with with one team and they gave me every single opportunity in order to get to the big leagues um so i get you know get traded to the blue jays and going over there was uh uh uh, you know an adjustment for me because now i'm getting to i have to learn new people in you know in the in the blue jays uh the staff the players and everything um so yeah, it was a bit of adjustment, but you know, it was also kind of nice to kind of like get a different feel of of, of the atmosphere from a, from a different team. You've been in two organizations since the Pirates. Do does going to a new organization do they do you get any other instruction? Do they tell you to do anything differently, or is it just hey, you do you, and and hopefully you'll have an opportunity? Yeah, I mean, it, so, some some organizations, you know, may want to change something about you but all in all i mean the teams know what they're getting and they just tell you to go out there and and, and do your thing and if there's an opportunity somewhere um you'll, you'll be called up you get some more big league time with the blue jays you get 13 games in 2018 they end up releasing you that august uh, the next year, you you spend with partly with the Phillies, and then a, a month back with the Pirates. What was the what was the return to the Pirates 
like? What was the um, you you had been released by the Phillies a you know a week prior? How did coming back to the Pirates feel? Did you feel like it was a real opportunity? Or did you think it was probably only going to be for that month or so? No, I I felt like it was a, a real opportunity for me. Um, you know, they they called me, they sent me down to Altoona, and they said if I do well on Altoona, I'll get called, I'll get an opportunity to be called up to AAA. Um, and stuff like that. So, you know, I signed back with the Pirates. Um, I had a great uh, reception from the Altoona fans because I spent three years over there and they loved everything that I did um, on the field and off the field for uh, for Altoona. So, uh, and there's some great fans out there, you know, in Altoona. So uh, it was a it was a good welcome back from them. And, uh, you know, I did what I could and, you know, God, I didn't get as much playing time as I wish I would, I would have had, but, you know, being out there and, and looking at my role, um, being there was more about helping the youngsters than, you know, me trying to, you know, get into a, a confrontation with the coach about playing time and stuff like that. And in this past year, you didn't have any, um, there were no opportunities. This was obviously a, a weird year for baseball, but the past, you know, for this, this season right now, you're, you're quarantining to play in the ABL and you've played in the ABL the last two winners. Uh, what's the, what's the environment like compared to in, in the ABL compared to like an MILB season compared to double A AA or triple A? So the, the, the difference over here is like, you know, you don't have to worry about your stats. Um, everybody's out there to play uh, uh, baseball and try win for their team. You know, as opposed to MLB, everybody's worried about their numbers and worried about getting called up, worried about the guy behind them, worried about the guy in front of them, how they're doing, what are they doing? And you know, there's just so much pressure that's in MLB, you know, in the minor leagues uh, compared to where you come here out here in, in in Australia, where you know the guys work. For a living, and they play baseball for fun. You know, it's like a semi-pro uh, baseball. Um, it's I'll compare it to like a high A, double A baseball league. But this year, there's actually a lot of prospects, and you know, it looks like good pitching has has, has been recruited from teams. Um, so it'll be you know that much more or more competitive um, from a pitching uh, from a hitting perspective. Um, but yeah, the ABLs just you know do what you can to 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 come back with a W. You're 30 now. You're about to be. You're going to be 31 in a few weeks. You're a veteran with some big league time. What is the when you when you reach this point in your career? What is the day to day work that you put in look like? What does a guy with a decade in pro ball work on each day when he comes to the field? Each day that I come to the field, you know, it's all about the quality reps that I put in. You know, obviously when you're younger, you you know it's it's quantity over uh, quality. You know, you, you're trying to get as many reps as possible, but the older you get, you know, you, you, you work smarter, you know? And, um, yeah, I'm just trying to refine my hitting. Uh, and I missed the whole of, uh, of this year. I didn't get any kind of game time. So, you know, I'm just playing a little bit of catch up right now, but uh, I'll be ready to go. I've been in quarantine for the last 11 days. You know, getting my work in, getting my swings in, making sure that I'm, you know, uh, I'm fit enough to play once once quarantine is over. So, yeah, I'm I'm just preparing myself and and being ready to play. 
so with that, you're still playing ball. You're going to have this, you have this winter season. What's your, your hope for 2021? What's your hope for the next few years of your career? So my, my next few years, um, it's either taking one, one way or the other, you know, I'm either going to stay playing baseball and, and, and trying to get back into the big leagues or, you know, end up, um, working as a coach um, in an academy or some, something like that, um, you know, giving back to baseball and teaching the the next generation, you know, and preparing them a little bit better than, you know, the way that I was prepared, um, you know, giving him, giving the players wherever I may be uh, an age to, to, to the next level. Are you hoping to coach back in your hometown, back in South Africa? Um. Yeah, there's there's got to be a little uh, a few changes that has to be made in South Africa in order for me to you know be back over there. You know they don't really have uh, much money in South Africa. Um, so I mean, as a father now and as a husband, I've got to provide for my family. So uh, hopefully things turn around and and um, South Africa can develop into a a competitive league. Um, so yeah, so the African, uh, baseball, you know, we have to make some adjustments in order for us to get better and be more competitive outside. You know, when we go to like the WBC qualifiers or the WBC, when we went, like it took us a little bit to make an adjustments, you know, day three in the competition, which is a little bit late. Uh, we're only making adjustments and getting better as a team where, you know, we want to be there from the start. And if things can get better um, in South Africa and be more competitive against like the top 10 countries in baseball, you know, I'd be, I'd be willing to coach over there. So right now I'm actually working on trying to develop baseball in, in, in Africa. So hopefully that comes through and we can start the process. What do you hope? that the next 10 years like in 10 years what do you hope that baseball looks like in south africa do you think there's a future big league all-star in south africa right now uh right now i haven't seen one yet but also you know if we have the 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 proper uh coaches and development um style kind of academy i think that we can you know have an all-star big league player one day from from south africa so last thing i've got for you before a rapid fire uh if if you could go back and talk to you know 18 19 year old gift you know right before you sign right after you sign what do you wish you would have known what what knowledge would you impart on uh, on that young guy before you embark out on your career i mean talking to gift when he was 18 19 years old i would i would tell him like you know, making adjustments at the box and, you know, staying more relaxed and being more aggressive, you know, and, and you know, just, just things like that, that would have, um, you know, maybe got me in the big leagues a little bit quicker or, you know, kept me in the big leagues, you know, making, making those adjustments. Um, I wish I, I wish I learned how to hit then you know, compared to how I am now as a hitter, like my mentality and my confidence in the box now is totally different to when I was when I was a kid. So I wish I had that kind of mentality, you know, when I was 18, 19 years old. 
I've got a couple of rapid fire questions for you, and then I'll I'll let you get to uh, get to your lunch uh, where you're at right now. Um, favorite minor league ballpark? Ooh, that's tough. That's tough. Uh, favorite minor league ballpark would be Indianapolis. Uh, it, it's just a great setup. They 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 get a lot of fans, and you know it, it, it's it's a big league setup in Indianapolis. Least favorite minor league ballpark, and the complex does not count. <laughs> least favorite um the least favorite i would say oh man this is gonna take me all the way to like short season i think mahoney valley was there was like you could not feel the ground ball and there was the the sand that they had in the infield was was a little rough and you know i got a few balls into my throat um so yeah not ideal uh, best pitcher you ever faced? Best pitcher I ever faced, um, it would be between Grinky and Botello Colon. I mean, those two move balls like it's it's nothing. The way they pitch and how they pitch it and how their ball moves is like yeah, it's it's tough to to you know it's tough at bats out there. This one, it might be the same answer, but best pitch you've ever faced. Has there ever been, has anyone ever thrown you anything where you just like could only shrug and be like, I don't know how a baseball moves like that? Um, best pitch that I saw um, is, uh, I think it's Freeman, the lefty from the Braves. I think he was with the Braves at the time. His changeup is really good. Like, uh, he's really, he's really got a good changeup. I, I remember he threw it so many times. Even though I was looking for it, like he's either gonna beat me with the fastball, and now I have to get ready for his fastball, and then he just drops that changeup. But then you can't really like, you know, pick it up very well, and it, you know, he just pulls a string, and it, it, it's an awesome pitch. He's, he, he's got that one as a weapon for a long time. Worst minor league bus trip. Uh, worst minor league bus trip is in. Uh, low A Sally League where we went from I don't know where it was but uh, we went from West Virginia to the Orioles I believe and it was like 20 hours bus ride already that'd be Delmarva I believe and, and where you are where the West Virginia power uh, where that is a that is in the in the hills uh, what makes a good double play partner a good double play partner Partner is you got that understanding of one another. You know, um, I played with a with a lot of with a lot of guys in my career, but you know, when you have that understanding with somebody, like where they want the ball and how they want the ball, you know, makes it that much easier. Best food city in minor league baseball. Best food city. Oh, um, I don't. I don't really know. Uh, I would say Altoona, Altoona Curve has got the best burgers in their stadium. Those are those Altoona burgers are really good. Last last thing I've got for you. Uh, what is a South African food that every American needs to try? Um, every American needs to try bultong. I'll go with bultong. Um, it's kind of like beef jerky, but it's ten times better. Bultong. Yeah, bultong. Okay. Okay, I'll put it. I'll put it on the list. Uh, Gift, thank you so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. I am very appreciative that you took the time. Uh, best of luck this winter in Australia. Hope by the time this drops that we've got good news about how you're playing. 
All right. Thanks, God. Thanks for having me. Of course. You take it easy. You too. Take care. And that's it for today's episode of From Phenom to the Farm. A big thanks to Gift and Gope for taking the time. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And again, rate, leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Get us over that 100 mark. Uh, episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. Next Tuesday is going to be with former Major League pitcher Bob Tewksbury talking about minor league life in the 80s, a couple stories that are very much uh, very Bull durham if, uh, if you get my drift, a lot of good stuff with that one. So tune in for that in two weeks. Also, make sure you're subscribed to BaseballAmerica.com for your amateur and prospect news, and we'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.